Welcome to Diversify the Stand. Together we build a community to listen and learn from the stories and experiences of passionate musicians. I'm Carrie Blosser. And I'm Ashley Killam. In our second season, we talk with musicians, performers, educators, historians, and entrepreneurs to expand how we think of the music we perform and follow non-traditional career paths. Episode 11 is a chat with Angela Elizabeth Slater, UK-based freelance composer. Angela has done a lot of collaborations with groups, individuals, festivals, and more in Europe and in the United States, and has some really incredible and exciting projects that she's going to share today. Angela, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. We wanted to get started and ask you how you got started in music. Yeah, so, um, well, from an early age, as I'm sure, you know, most of us who have got into the business um, have done. So it's mainly through through my mum, who's a keen amateur musician. I grew up in a small village called Cotgrave in Nottinghamshire in, in the UK. And in, in the house that we lived in, um, we had a, a, a piano and I always remember that my mum had like posters of uh, all sorts of musical things on the walls all the time so there was all things to help you remember the lines of staves every good boy deserves football face in the space and um, well for me as a British musician crotchets and quavers and ninims and so on and so I can't really remember a time when I didn't sort of know those things I think you know I was learning them along this at the same time as sort of the alphabet and every everything else and my my older brother was learning the piano and then the clarinet and so when he was practicing i would sort of be watching and then i think afterwards as like a three or four year old i would go and bash on the piano or something i was always really fascinated by sounds um my mom had a drawer of uh, all these kind of toy percussion instruments and things so music was there like right at the beginning for me when I got the opportunity, when I was a bit older, you know, like about seven years old, I started playing the piano properly. Um, and then a year later, I started the flute. And I was just sort of working through my grades and um, ABRSM grades in, in the UK. Um, but I think I kind of always knew that I was probably never destined to be a professional performer because I'm terrible at practicing because I always get so distracted with my mistakes. I'd be practicing the piano and then I would come across a cool chord that because it'd gone wrong. And then I would be distracted for like a good hour. And I could hear my mum calling, you need to play your scales. You've got your grade six tomorrow or something. And you know, so it was yeah, I was uh, you know in fascinated by sounds but terrible at practice um discipline and everything and yeah the the composition sort of uh, actually I went home the other weekend and my mom had found a short piano piece that I wrote back in 2003 and I played it through and it wasn't half bad you know uh some kind of uh aspects of Lord of the Rings in there and things like that so I thought hey this you know maybe be passable as an undergraduate composition uh, and things so I was I was doing things from you know really quite early on and then these compositions sort of manifest themselves into sort of more pop songs in my teenage years and I sort of hadn't realized that you could be a composer you know I sort of it was obvious to me that people became performers and people in the sort of pop industry became songwriters but I didn't realize that you could be a composer. 
so when I was doing my A-levels, which is what you take when you're 16 in the UK, um, and you only choose four subjects, I chose um, biology, chemistry, physics, and music. <laughs> and because I was good at science and I was good at music, my dad's a scientist and my mum's the, the key musician of the family, so sort of reflecting my parents, absolutely. And then, you know, you get to the point where you're thinking, well, I'm going to do a university. And I was sort of just thinking, oh, what's the sensible thing to do? What's the financially secure thing to do? And, you know, probably with uh, parental influence and, and other factors too. So I actually wasn't going to follow a music track at all. I actually went to university and started studying pharmacy at the University of Nottingham. And um, I was about two-thirds through the way the first term and I went home one weekend and I was sort of playing on the piano and it occurred to me that I hadn't actually had time to sort of engage with music for the whole term and it suddenly sort of occurred to me sort of how unhappy I was about that. My mum said something like oh that sounds really good whatever I was making up I can't remember. It probably wasn't. It was probably rubbish. But it just, it made me burst into tears. And I just said to my mum, I said, mum, I need to do music because I need to do composition. Um, so it was always about composition. So we managed to sort of swap internally for me to do music at the University of Nottingham. And so I started the, I had sort of a half semi-gap year off and then started the next year. And I'm probably much poorer for it financially, um, but I like to think I'm much richer and much happier for it. So, um, yeah, and then I did my um, undergraduate degree at the University of Nottingham, met my uh, husband, Adam Whitaker, who's, who's a musicologist, um, and then did my PhD at the University of Nottingham as well, which um, I, I, I was awarded in 2017. And then uh, since I've just been freelancing as a composer so that's sorry really really long convoluted answer to your question but there we are I had no idea that's such an amazing story that's like really powerful I feel like so many of us are like should we do the practical thing and go through it so I think it's it's awesome maybe not the first semester where you have to burst into tears to, to realize like yes. composition was was the meaning yeah though I think it gave me a conviction to sort of feel like no this is really what I've, I've got to do and I've got to go for it. When we were looking through your website, you have a whole project section with really amazing different collaborations and different projects you've done with groups and people. We would just love to hear if you wanted to kind of talk about any of the things you've done in the past few years, because all of them are super interesting. Is there any particular one that you're intrigued by? I personally would really love to hear about your solo series challenge. The Connected Skies project. Yeah. That's that's actually only sort of recently finished for me because it was such a long project and a project that really only could exist because of the pandemic in many ways, because you know, I'm sure it's like this in the US. When you're applying for funding, it's always with the kind of rationale that you're going to actually meet up with the person, you know, in person, and you're going to have to have all the, the travel. And so I wanted to be working with certain players, two in the US and two in Europe. And in normal times, I think that would be just completely impractical for like an individual funding bid but Arts Council England also um, sort of opened up their funds to not need any match funding so 
I, I had this idea that it would be great to sort of challenge myself to write six 10 minute solo pieces between October 2020 and May 2021 this this year and I, I was very fortunate that I, I got the funding for it so um, I've written a piece for solo double bass called um, The Aching Space Between and I worked with um, a US based um, double bassist Maggie Cox for that. I met Maggie at Virtual Tanglewood as things things are <laughs> at the moment. So I've not actually met her in person, but we I wrote a piece for um, that's sort of part of the project at Tanglewood. And then I thought, I've not had enough writing for solo double bass this year. I'll I'll do some more. So um I wrote that that piece and that was called The Aching Space Between. And then I had a solo cello piece, which is called Woven Half Dreams, which was written for a UK based cellist called Sarah Gate. And then whilst I do, then it was the accordion piece. I'm sort of remapping myself through, through my autumn and winter. Um, so yes, a solo accordion piece, and, um, which was called Enclosing Skies, um, which I wrote for Camilla Arlas, um, who's based in, in Denmark. And yeah, the, the accordion was just something else to get my head round. You know, I, I've, I've very, I'm very comfortable writing for cello. I've written, you know, string quartets and solo, uh, you know, uh, string works and uh, in various kinds um, previously. And when I was writing for the double bass, it was similar, obviously different. I had to get my head around the slightly different tunings, but yeah, the leap to accordion was just um, something else. So that took me the longest, but was you know extremely rewarding. And I'm actually going to be writing Camilla an accordion concerto this autumn. So that's I'm going to have to get my head back into the accordion, but I'm very very excited for that. And then the next piece that was in this challenge was a piece for solo flute, but with a twist. The flute had a glissando head joint and um, the, the person I was writing for um, is called Emma Coulthard. And um, I mean, she's a professional flautist first and foremost, but she also is willing to sing and she's got a fantastic sort of soprano voice. So um, I made um, this piece echoed which sort of about the the myth of uh, echo and narcissus um but also um i'll explain afterwards how all of these are linked through a poem that i wrote um so yeah that was piece i allowed myself to be really sort of manic and uh, let all the kind of angst and sort of um cabin feverish um emotions of this year sort of manifest themselves uh in that piece and then I wrote a piece for solo percussion, um, which was called Shut Out the Noise. Again, it was sort of similar to that one um, in that I was sort of al allowing myself to express the kind of uh, feeling of being uh, overwhelmed, the sort of saturation of the media and the news and just the situation. And I wrote that um, for a percussionist called Iris van der Bos, who's usually based in the Netherlands, but well, she was sort of in between places when we were sort of choosing what instrumentation, um, because she lives in the Netherlands, but she also uh, studies at the Royal Birmingham Conservatoire. 
but everything being digital she'd gone home I think to stay with her parents I mean with that particular piece I, I deliberately said to myself you've got to write a piece that has no pictures because I'd never done that before and see if you could sustain you know interest for for full 10 minutes so if anyone listens I hope you think I have the last piece which was really sort of the culmination of the project and I felt you know as I've been going through I've been sort of pulling tissues from each of the pieces through each other and almost a bit like a, a song cycle but for instruments but this final piece was for mezzo soprano and for um Cameron Lung and um it set the text um of this poem that I'd written that connected all of them and that piece is called Never to Leave. When the sky enclosed around me, shrinking ever smaller, I found woven half dreams fractured in spaces in between, which ache and scream. I tried to shut the noise out, but it echoed right back at me, never to leave or fully be. Yeah, so that's, um, that's Connected Skies, and they were all uh, digitally premiered like once a month from, um, the first one was on January the 21st. Obviously, we had to have a run-in of me writing the piece and then each performer learning the piece, recording the piece, of course, rather than just, just performing it. And then uh, we'd have time editing it all together because um, what was sort of, these things are all on YouTube, but they're not just of the pieces there's um, a little insight um, into the collaboration process between um, me and each of the performers um, we had lots of, of different zoom meetings and I think it was just I think it was brave of, of me and each of the performers but I think it's really interesting for an audience to sort of get a, an insight into what musicians actually talk about behind the scenes that actually you know, creates, creates music in the end. I think that's super neat. And I think a lot of uh, performers kind of, oh, the composers, we don't want to like bother you. But really, like, I think that like the dialogue is really important, especially when you're commissioning new works and performing them. And during the last year and a half, when we haven't been able to like meet together in person. Oh, yeah, I think it's hugely important. And I mean, when I'm writing, particularly when it's for you know someone specific, I think it's really good to get an idea of of who they are as a person. And I mean, with uh, various performers um, through this project, some of them I've known for years, and some I just met. And like I said, with Maggie, I'd never, I've never actually met, seen her in person. I, I love making friends with musicians as well. So it's it's been such a, a sort of pleasure to connect with these uh, different musicians and sort of creatively and collaboratively grow grow together and and just to sort of really get a deep understanding of, of each instrument and I, I felt that well since then um, when writing other pieces that you know haven't been solo pieces but have got these instruments in that I feel like so I just have a, a deeper level of understanding now so that's that's been great fun and um you know a, a huge benefit from doing that project the clip that you're going to hear is from enclosing skies the accordion solo that angela just talked about
you've done a, a bunch of different like fellowship programs and where you've kind of been a part of some different groups. I would love for you to talk about how that impacts you as a composer and then the performers that you're working with. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, the Tango one was quite weird because it was virtual and I've never been there in person, but I'm hoping to be there in 2022. I find with, you know, these kind of residencies, the best thing about them is getting to sort of meet the performers and get to know the performers and work with them. And so the main thrust of the, the project at Tangled was to work with, with Maggie. And um, that was the first time I was writing for double bass as a solo instrument. I'd always written for, you know, in an orchestral context. And I sort of look back at old pieces and think, oh yeah, it's never very daring um, for the double bass, but it can do so much. Um, and Maggie was so open to trying things that she'd never even realised were possible on her instrument either. So yeah, that, I found um, that to be amazing. A few years ago, I went to Britain Piers advanced composition course and it sort of ran across two years so it was in 2017 the initial course and then I was like um we were invited back the next year for like a week of rehearsals and our final performance and that was back when Oliver Nussen was still with us and my cohort of composers were essentially the last cohort of composers to have his his tuition um so uh, yeah, at Britain Piers, um, you have sort of mentorship from Oliver Nusson um, and Colin Matthews, and in my year also the US composer Michael Gandolfi, and you essentially write for a uh, chamber orchestra, and uh, that was one of the most intense but creatively satisfying courses I've ever been on, um, because essentially every day you would have a workshop at four with the ensemble, um, about an hour with drafts of your pieces um, and then the, that night you would essentially revise your piece, wake up in the morning, get it printed, rinse, repeat <laughs> for like 10 days. Each year I'm always aware of all these various residencies and competitions that come up and um, so I found um, the Mendelssohn Scholarship Award and I applied to it um, hoping that I could go and study with Michael Gandolfi for three months and amazingly I did get it um so in in 2019 yes um, between February and May I went out and lived in in Boston in Cambridge Massachusetts and yeah I, I had loads and loads of lessons with him and uh, got myself feeling so comfortable and confident and creatively in control with with harmony i honestly can say he's changed the way i compose for the better uh, not that was such an amazing opportunity and it just happened that while i was out there i had a number of things that just happened to fall into place um so um i had the new england philharmonic premiere my uh, orchestral piece called royal in stillness and i had a piano trio prism piano trio they premiered my piece called shades of rain and that was part of my illuminate women's music project as well <laughs> which i perhaps will talk about in a in a moment and then i also had a piece called of um of spheres performed um by the semiosis quartet when i was out there um so there was a number of of various things so it was sort of wonderful to sort of 
throw myself into the US sort of contemporary classical music scene in Boston and, and get all of that, that tuition as well. Yeah, so maybe this is a good point for me to talk about Illuminate Women's Music. So um, Illuminate Women's Music came about because when I was doing my PhD in composition, I sort of realised that uh, I don't know why I hadn't realised before this point, which is also a horrifying thing, that I didn't seem to know about any women composers. And I'd only began to realise about a few um, sort of names for me were like Helen Grime and Arlene Sierra. And I, I found their music because, um, particularly with Arlene Sierra, she her music sort of um, uh, inspired, well, some of her music is inspired by the natural world. And that was something that really interested me and in the way she was doing it using sort of concepts from the natural world to inform different parameters within the compositions so because you know obviously there's loads of composers over the years that you could argue were inspired by the natural world, but in in this specific way and you know as I was sort of realizing this and doing my research I sort of came across a few historical women composers and I thought oh gosh how did I not know about all of all of this and so I began thinking, perhaps I should, you know, put some concerts together. And I mean, all of this was sort of also, I was becoming aware that whenever I was at a composer's course, I was the token woman there. Once in a while, there'd be one other. So I'd sort of be, I was sort of beginning to sort of gather all these women composers, slowly, surely. And then I just sort of uh, said to a couple of them, how would you feel about if we did a couple of concerts where, you know, you wrote a piece and we programmed it and I sort of got in touch with some performers and saying, you know, how do you feel about doing a, a concert for, you know, all, all women composers? And before I knew it, I'd sort of ended up booking about seven concerts and then I'd come up with this idea of illuminate women's music and the idea of celebrating and highlighting the creativity of women both as composers and performers and and sort of demonstrating that there is a historical rich legacy of uh, women composers and I think it's really important that women actually realise that and that we're not doing this for the first time. When you actually dive into these composers' stories, they often were very successful in their era and time and often actually very respected by all their male uh, colleagues and, and counterparts. But yet history doesn't remember them or, or didn't think they were important enough. And so it's like as though they get erased and that each generation of, of women aren't aware of their existence so it feels like you're sort of starting the battle from zero again. The format of Illuminate Women's Music now, at least in normal times anyway, is that we have sort of different performers in residence each season and we commission about five or six uh, living female composers, broadly speaking, in the early in your early career and then um, we program them alongside um, historical uh, women composers as well and then we tour them around um, the UK mainly in to sort of lots of different venues sort of UK universities sort of free coffee concerts at churches all sorts of things because you know it's very important of course to go around universities and and you know educated people and students and so on and get them to realize all of this stuff as well but I, I think also just normal people who are interested in classical music and sometimes I had the most amazing and enthusiastic responses to people from that from people 
coming up afterwards to me being like, wow, I didn't, I just didn't know that women composers existed. So, you know, I, I, that's what I wanted sort of to try and change little by little. And um, I guess I was also thinking about um, the concept of, of the canon in a funny sort of way that it's like, um, I guess, a, a sort of massive uh, works that have sort of been approved and you know I think each of us have our own personal canon that's what I sort of believe and so I am you know surely slowly but surely I'm thinking I'm going to sort of infiltrate all these people's personal canons people sort of have a collect more of a collective awareness and hopefully it will just sort of build up a kind of um, cultural shift and with having different performers in resonance as well I was hoping to sort of take those performers in in a way, educate them in in a, in a way, and send them out into the world, but with all this new repertoire, and hopefully a, a new gain interest in it, and thinking that maybe they'll commission new works, or maybe they'll go digging for other historical works and put them, you know, not necessarily in a program of all women's works, but just in a program. So that's what I've been trying to do with um, illuminate women's music over the last few years. It's just really astounding when you start doing the research into it, into finding composers and finding these pieces, how much is out there and how much really great music is out there. But it's really great to see organizations and concert series and individuals doing all of this work to try and make small change. I like to think that that makes larger change later on. I hope so. I mean, I feel like there's been a cultural shift in the UK, as I'm sure there has in the US as well. And I like to think that maybe I was part of that in some form. So as we're recording now in July, we wanted to, you to talk just a little bit about the future projects that you have coming out, especially ones that will be maybe premiering as this episode airs in early October. Okay, yeah. Um, so I've got quite a busy uh, time of it at the moment um, because I'm actually, over the next few weeks, uh, weeks even, at three different uh, sort of music festival and courses, which um, excitedly are overlapping in just brief moments in different time zones. So it's just going to be um, confusing and fun for me. So the, the thing that I'm actually at currently and will actually be uh, partaking in a session to later tonight um, is the Fresh Squeezed Opera Vocal Lab which is a New York-based um, opera company. And um, I've been writing a piece uh, for baritone and piano um, for um, baritone Daniel Klein. And um, through that, my, my piece, which is called um, Tucked Beneath, um, will be sort of recorded and digitally premiered um, later in August. So by the time you're listening to this in October, you can find that and it will be there for you to uh, listen to. So then this is sort of over two like pockets of weekends. And then I will at the same time be virtually in Sweden for a little bit on a festival which is called Shorthand Scabber, which I think is hilarious. But it is the Stockholm Chamber of Brass Academy, um, which you guys might be interested about, actually. Um, so there, through that, I've been writing um, a brass quintet. And I wrote that piece straight after your trumpet piece, actually. And it was great to be in a brass mode. And um, 
to feel like as though I'd got my head into that that sound world and also but just all the techniques of the, the trumpet as well. Um, so that's sort of 10 days where I should have been in a place called Lakesland, but yes, virtually from here, this is everywhere. And then that overlaps with the Impulse Music Festival um, in Los Angeles. And through that, I'm having um, my solo uh, cello piece, Woven Half Dreams, technically have a US premiere uh, that will start that that festival will be the first in the first concert of that festival but I'm also writing a new work which I have decided the title of um, as of a few days ago and this piece is going to be for the Brightwork um, ensemble um, and it's called To Know the Dark which is based on a poem called Wendell Barrel Berry. So yeah, they're main things I'm doing um, this summer, but I also have another digital premiere in August. They're all coming at once, it seems, <laughs> like buses, which is this very strange project that I actually wrote the piece for back in January this year. And the, well, the group um, who have organised it are called the ARC Project. And the piece um, commission sort of request was, we'd like you to write a piece for piano with three pianists and one piano. So that was an interesting challenge. And um, it was kind of great fun to think, how can I uh, utilise the piano? Only one piano, but with, uh, you know, six hands as such. So yeah, they're all my current projects and upcoming performances all in August. But that means as you're in October, you get to listen to them all straight away. For your last question, we ask everyone this. We would love to know what is on your music stand this week and how are you diversifying your stand? Yeah, so this is kind of a funny question as a composer because, and as I expressed earlier, I'm terrible at practicing ever. So um there's, uh, my music stand just usually like doesn't have anything on or just has all my sketches on. So I suppose it has me on it. Yeah, I, I sort of, I guess, you know, I'm diversifying my stand in, in, different, in different areas, as we were mentioning before, um, you know, through Illuminate Women's Music and through my various uh, teaching set settings. You know, when I'm doing one-to-ones with um, composers, students, I'm always conscious and it's actually just very natural because they're part of my personal fan and I'll bring up women composers um, as uh, examples and I'm always really keen to actually the, those kind of contexts of, of teaching as you know as opposed to when I'm doing Illuminate Women's Music stuff is just to be like yeah there's this really great uh, you know string quartet by Ruth Crawford Seeger and I don't go oh and she's a woman composer you know I just say you know she's a good she's a composer and there's this fantastic piece and this is why. Um, so yeah, there's just, I guess, diversity as a whole on my metaphorical music stand and a lot of self-obsession because I'm just composing all the time at the moment. I've had like a crazy amount of projects that have just been back to back. Um, yeah, it's a bit in intense. I hope to have a week off at some point, but yeah, not anytime soon. That's awesome. Thank you again for joining us and being a part of our project. And we're just so grateful to meet you and to hear about all of the awesome things that you are doing. And I can't wait to play your trumpet piece across the United States. 
Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, thank you so much for having me and listening to me witter on for ages about various things. I'm glad you've enjoyed it. And yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to, uh, you know, having my piece performed so many times by you guys and, and all the keen trumpeters that you mentioned as well. Links to Angela's website and all resources and organizations recommended are in the podcast description. Thank you for listening to Diversify the Stand. I'm Ashley. And I'm Carrie. If you'd like to support us and our projects, find us on social media and visit our website. We now have a store where you can pick up some Diversify the Stand gear. And as always, a huge thank you to Trevor Weston and Whitney George for allowing us to use their compositions in our podcast. The musical introduction is Trevor's trumpet duet, Fanfare for Changes, and the ending music is Whitney's incantations for trumpet and piano. Both composers' websites are listed in the podcast description. Until next week, what's on your stand?